0: Buildings entirely crushed and
1: crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now.
0: Another exciting episode of Aquaman and Firestorm, the Fire and Water Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag. Along with me, as always, is my celebratory partner, Mr. Rob Kelly, here to wish someone a very special long-distance dedication. Happy birthday.
1: (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that intro. Uh, Anyway, hi, Shag.
0: (laughs) Hi, Rob. How are you? (laughs) <laughs> I'm doing good. We're here to celebrate something. It's, we got our party hats on. I, li- I made a cake. I've got candles going. Tell people at home what we're celebrating, Rob. Uh,
1: yes, if you were listening to this episode the day it came out, and you should, what the hell kind of monster are you, unless you're not <laughs> listen to the show on the day it comes out? Uh, that this is March 31st, 2019, which means it is exactly 60 years to the day. That the Silver Age origin of Aquaman was released in Adventure Comics number 260, which means it came out out on March 31st, 1959. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World for that little detail. And like I said, normally we would not spend a whole episode just talking about a single eight-page story. But I just thought the, the timing of this was just too perfect. We've never actually covered this story On the show to this point And just the fact that It's exactly 60 years Of it was just too good To pass up So that's what we're here To talk about
0: And I'm here because Rob has to do most of the talking And I only had to read Eight pages So that works for me perfect
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think I pitched this Right after we finished The last Who's Who And I was like That seems
0: like a good idea (laughs) Right after five hours Of recording I'm like yeah (laughs) I I can do eight pages (laughs) And truthfully This is a wonderful Wonderful eight pages I've read this thing Many times I love it It's gorgeous And uh, I'm excited To talk about it But before Before we do that, we need to take a second to thank our sponsor. Folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. What you got, buddy?
1: Well, I'm. Uh, I, I've already plugged this book about a thousand times already. It's Aquaman: A Celebration of 75 Years hardcover. Of course, it's one of those great uh, 75 Years or hard you know, where 50 Years books that DC has been putting out the last couple of years. But the reason I'm plugging them when, this one again is because it features this story. Oh, uh, cool. we don't. We don't always get a chance to talk about a book uh, that features the, the, you know, the whatever comic we're talking about. But this 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 eight pager is included in this collection of Aquaman stories. It features, you know, all the amazing talent that's work, worked on Aquaman over the years. features a cover by Jim Lee. The normal price is $39.99. In-stock trades price, $23.19. That's for 400 pages of this big, handsome, oversized book. Uh, you save 42%. So that's, uh, that's what I'm plugging. Aquaman
0: celebration of 75 years. Very cool. I tried to find something that was sort of Silver Age premiere-ish But I couldn't hone in on something I wanted, so I picked something else that I think Rob will get immediately why I picked it. I picked Green Arrow, the Golden Age Omnibus Hardcover, Volume 1. So, what this collects is the very earliest appearances of the Emerald Archer. And uh, it's... it's, Part of what attracted me is this gorgeous cover by Jay Bone. Uh, i I know he's a prolific comic artist. I'm not terribly familiar with him, but he's got this great, great sort of Steve Rude, Darwin Cook kind of style. He just looks great. Anyway, uh, it includes More Fun Comics, number 73. And why is that relevant, Rob? Uh, that is Green Owl's first appearance and Aquaman's first appearance.
1: Those two characters are forever tied at the hip.
0: Exactly. So I figured you'd know why I picked this one. So, More Fun Comics, 73 through 107. World's Finest 7 through 28. Adventure Comics, Adventure Comics, look at that. 103 through 117. So it is 792 pages. So yeah, this one's expensive. Okay, no doubt about it. It's uh, It normally retails for $125. It's one of these giant hardcover omnibuses, but you can get it over 42% off, so it's only $72.50. And you can read the earliest Adventure adventures of Stephen Amell back in the 1940s running around with a bow and arrow. So uh, it looks super cool. And again, that J-bone cover alone is like absolutely gorgeous. So folks, for these and all of your trade paperback needs, please visit instocktrades.com. All right, Rob, this is kind of your show. Why don't you run us through it?
1: Okay, well, I said, this story first appeared in Adventure Comics number 260. It's written by Robert Bernstein and drawn by the incomparable Ramona Fraiden, And uh, we will talk a little bit about both of those creators in a moment. Uh, but the, the, one of the things that immediately makes this story distinctive is that Aquaman is mentioned on the cover. Uh, that didn't happen a lot. Uh, as I have mentioned on many episodes before, Aquaman did not get a cover of his own, uh, any—well, not of his own—any cover at all uh, until Brave and the Bold* number twenty-eight, when he was part of the Justice League. But until then, he just had to—he just had to live in the back pages every or, once in a while.
0: Forgive yes. me for asking: were, were the Showcase issues that led to his ongoing? Were those after JLA number one? Or yes. After, yes, Oh,
1: were.
0: I, yes. okay. I didn't realize that.
1: Yep, yep. So, now, he would occasionally be mentioned on the cover of More Fun or Adventure, but very rarely. So, with just the fact that they took the time to mention him at all was kind of a big deal. And this one says, it says, also in this issue, how Aquaman got his powers." they are like, okay, he's actually getting, you know, some cover space away from Superboy for five minutes. Yay. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> I just love there's some super dickery going on from Ma and Pa Kent this time. So, uh, instead of Superman hosing everybody, Superboy's getting the shaft. I like that.
1: Yeah, they, their adopted boy Alan Kent is landing, and Superboy's feeling uh, replaced. I'm sure it'll all work out in the end. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this—may uh, this or maybe not—I don't know. Anyway, this story, like I said, it's called "How Aquaman Got His Powers," and it's that one day a U.S. military submarine is testing a new type of atomic warhead. Aquaman summons, summons various finny friends to help him disarm them. Boarding the ship, Aquaman meets the Navy captain and asks him not to test the weapons. Asking for an explanation, Aquaman leads the captain away from the crew and tells him the story of how he got his powers, which is sort of funny. The Navy goes, like, I didn't ask. Uh, Aquaman <laughs> explains that some years ago, an ex-sailor who now lived the life of a lighthouse keeper saw a woman on a raft caught in a raging hurricane. Coming to her rescue, he learned the woman's name was Atlanta. The two fell in love, and a year later, Atlanta gave birth to a young boy. As the boy grew up, his father was shocked to find that the little boy could swim, breathe underwater, and communicate with sea life. Sometime later, Atlanta became ill, and on her deathbed explained to her son and husband that she was really from the lost city of Atlantis, a city whose people could live under the sea, and that she was forced into exile by those people. In her dying breath, she tells her son that he would one day be ruler of the oceans. Thus, the widowed lighthouse keeper trained the boy to control his powers and sent him to school on the surface to get an education. Eventually, the lighthouse keeper died and was buried at sea, and the boy became the hero known as Aquaman. With his story finished, the submarine captain asks Aquaman why he shouldn't test his warheads in this location, and Aquaman tells him in secret that it is the location of the lost city of Atlantis. As the submarine relocates, Aquaman swims past Atlantis, hoping to someday introduce himself to the people that live there. And so with that... Uh, You basically have the introduction of the Silver Age Aquaman. Now, there is some controversy as to whether this is really the introduction of the Silver Age Aquaman. Mm. We will get to all that in a moment. Okay. But, uh, but I want to ask you, Shaq, like what do you – you already said you like the story. I mean what did, you, what did you like about
0: it? Well, I've, I, you know, I've read it many times. Uh, I don't know whether it was in a, my original showcases I was buying or – I've seen it collected before somewhere or, or read reprints of it. It's absolutely gorgeous. First of all, the artwork is just stunning. Right. Ramona it was uh, – was, was she new on the book at this point or she had been drawing it for quite a while? I mean, she drew it through she since had, like 51, didn't she?
1: Yeah, she had been doing it for quite a while.
0: Okay. I mean, she's just got a great style. She's got this command of Aquaman. He looks so incredible. Even though he's got yellow gloves, he looks so stinking cool. Just the way she cuts his shoulders and his face. Like There's one scene where he's talking to the general, and he's sort of leaning on the railing and staring off into the ocean, and his hair is being caught by the wind. It's great. That's such <sighs> a great panel. And just the detail and the artwork of all the characters. You know, Aquaman's father has a distinctive look. Atlanta. By the way, smoking hot. Uh, it Looks fantastic. It, 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 I think it's the art that grabs me so much. I mean, the the story itself is fine. There's a little goofiness with uh, with you know getting the octopus to row the old what a Phoenician boat or whatever it is. Which that kind of stuff is is always funny to me. But the artwork is just beautiful. If if you look at this and here, this is from the 1950s. I don't. I would think this is from the 60s. I mean, it looks more advanced. It looks more further along. It doesn't look quite as I. I I don't want to. Primitive is the wrong word. Someone's going to lose their crap over that. But I don't think of 1950s artwork like this. I think of that more like early Archie stuff. This just looks gorgeous. It looks like nice early 60s stuff to me.
1: You definitely saw her style develop uh, in the first couple of months or maybe even years that she did the strip. It, the stuff is not as tight, it's not as assured looking. I mean, she inked herself, which again, I mean, <laughs> not not only was. She, she unique that she was a comic book artist a woman drawing comic books that was unusual that wasn't like a romance thing uh, but then she, the fact that she inked herself was, was pretty remarkable. But yeah, by this point, she is just burning on all thrusters mm-hmm. and this thing is so beautiful to look at. It's just teeming with sort of life. I love all the flashback panels have that kind of watery panel edge. Mm-hmm. Um, as you mentioned, the scene, the scene where he's leaning out over the ledge and you see the the, the breeze blowing his hair and you see the, uh, the Navy man's tie is going. Oh in that yeah. And um, it's, it's just, it's. It's perfect. Like, I just look at it and say, it's this perfect uh, melding of cartoony, but just realistic enough that it, it sort of works as an adventure strip. Uh, I love her sort of barrel-chested Aquaman. It's very different than what Jim Aparo would do later on, but I like that. I like the way he straddles the whales, and the, when he grabs the nuclear warhead, it looks really great. It's just – there's a reason why she was on this strip for so many years, because I think look, like this is perfect. And I absolutely think part of the reason – that Aquaman continued to be a thing throughout the 50s after most superhero features went belly up was because he was gifted with a lot of great artists. I mean, I've yeah. already gone on and on about John Daly, how much I like him, but the fact that she took over it, she just gave the strip such polish and it's just – it doesn't look like anything else because I think this was the only thing she was doing. I think she, she did Brenda Starr, but I don't think it was around this time. Oh, wow. Uh, it's just – I have to say, I, I mean I've done a little bit of research about looking up old issues of adventure and reading the letters pages and seeing what people thought about it. And it's sort of interesting that a lot of the letters they print uh, are from women. Or hmm. from gr- girl readers saying, okay. I love the Aquaman strip and stuff like that. And I have to wonder, is it – there's something about – I wouldn't say that Ramona Freden has a feminine style. It's not like it's uh, Trina Robbins who is you know mm-hmm. very particular feminine style. But there's just something about it I think that appealed to probably boys and girls and that probably kept the character in the back pages of Adventure for all these years, which of course gave him the chance to be picked into the Justice League, which then you know catapulted him into a whole new realm.
0: You know, I'm sitting here flipping through it now that you've mentioned certain panels, and there is just a certain. And again, I'm not an artist; I'm stupid in these regards. And you could have just stop that sentence. I'm stupid, probably. But anyway, the the way she lays out her panels, the way she, the angle she comes at, like the angle where Atlanta's floating on the raft and the wave has her almost at like a 45 degree angle as, as she's being knocked around in the hurricane, or when Aquaman's standing on that uh, ledge or whatever, and all the fish are swimming by him. Just the angle she chooses, and the position of the camera in relation to the figures—it's just really, really well done. It's exceptional storytelling. There's never a question of what's going on, and uh, it's it's really, really striking. And the colors are great too. All the scenes of him mm. underwater are all done in blues and purples,
1: so that's really nice. Except it's just it's it's perfect. And we have to talk a little bit about Robert Bernstein, the guy that wrote this. And you know, this is this is partly my own fault because, of course, when I was back doing the Aquaman trying. I tried to do focus, you know, do, do some focused attention on the writers. Because, I mean, a lot of the writers I was very lucky that I got to talk to, mm-hmm. whether it be, you know, Paul Kupperberg or, uh, or J.M. DeMatteis or, you know, whatever. And Robert Bernstein is one of these guys who is just sort of forgotten by comic book historians for the most part. Uh, he, his tenure on Aquaman was pretty brief, but nevertheless, he had an outsized impact. This story. Adventure number two sixty is his first Aquaman story. Really um, yes. interesting. And I cannot, I I have to think that this was not his conception. That this was he was picked uh, by the editor of the book to say, look, we want to reboot Aquaman a little because again, we'll, and we'll talk about this briefly. Of course, the Silver Age origins were in the air at this point. The Flash had debuted by this point, and I think Green Lantern had debuted by this point, and so they were refreshing all these characters. And I have to think that at some point DC said, look let 's do let 's give Aquaman this new let's let 's kind of reboot him because of course there had been an Aquaman origin story it first appeared in more fun Comics seventy three which you mentioned but that was at this point uh eighteen years ago, uh, and I think they decided let 's just kind of freshen him up a little and give him a new origin and and of course, there was no idea that there was an Earth one or Earth two. it was just hey let 's just sort of start over but this so Robert Bernstein wrote this story now he wrote this story, and then he wrote. Aquaman's strip all the way till adventure number 283. So, all he wrote was 23 stories. That's not that many. But in just those 23 stories, he introduced Aqualad. Oh, wow. In in adventure 269, the human flying fish. (laughs) I know, I know. But, nevertheless, as goofy as he is, he is Aquaman's first costume supervillain. Is he really? Super-powered, yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh. A, the, the Golden Age version had Blackjack, who was just a pirate and just a giant loser. Hey, this, hey, hey, I mean, hey, 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 hey. You, well, you will
0: not be smirched, Blackjack. I love Blackjack. Oh, yeah.
1: you, couldn't, you couldn't even get that out without laughing. Uh, the <laughs> hum, but the Human Flying Fish is definitely the first Silver Age villain because he's, he's got superpowers. He's got a costume. And uh, Robert Bernstein wrote Adventure Number 266, which features a young woman who calls herself Aqua Girl. Oh right now right. she would not appear anywhere past that one story, but nevertheless, the idea that you could much like you did with Batman, you could take the the, the, the prefix and just start putting different names at the end of it Aqua lad, Aqua girl, you know whatever you could do that so I mean he also wrote adventure number two hundred sixty seven which features a inter book team up with green arrow oh that's right. that 's right okay that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that that 's a two parter where the villains. Uh, one villain escapes and runs into the, sexins, the second strip, and this was basically the first team up between those two characters. Even though they had been in the back of adventure together for all those years, so I mean, did did he write the Green Arrow story as well? No, he did not. Uh, oh, wait, yes, he did. He did. Oh, okay. He did. I'm sorry, take it back. Yes, he did. He wrote Green Arrow as well. Uh, so he had a lot of credits. I mean, on, on t- and I do want to give a little bit else to his to his uh, in his credits here. Um, on, on top of being a comic book writer, mm-hmm. he was also a playwright. And a concert impresario. What? Uh, which was a yeah. He had like a whole side career as a as a like a, a classical musician. He lived from 1919 to 1988. He also wrote Tales of Suspense number 40, which is the second ever appearance of Iron Man.
0: Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The, the weird thing is, okay, you mentioned earlier about this guy not getting enough credit. Until we started talking about him tonight, I don't know that I've ever even heard his name. Like, you know, we've talked about a lot of different Aquaman over the years and stuff, and I I don't remember this name even being mentioned before now.
1: I have not done a good. I did not do a good enough job on the shrine talking about him and going into his credits. I just sort of wrote him down because I mean he's you know he's been he's been dead a long time so there's and there's just not a lot of stuff to read about him. Right. You know what I mean? You can go to his Wikipedia page and you can go to Mike's Amazing World and you can go to co- the Grand Comic Book Database and find some information. But but outside of that, there's not a lot. So you really but but when I started looking through all the stories, I'm like, good lord, he wrote that. He wrote that. He wrote that. I mean that's that's a big. I mean. Again, he think about that that Stanley introduced Iron Man and then immediately handed it off to Robert Bernstein for a couple of issues that 's pretty mm. remarkable
0: and, and, and with the Aquaman stuff, he created all this stuff now, to be fair, he was probably just trying to crank out. A monthly or bi-monthly strip, and wasn't putting, yes. you know, thinking that he's creating a legacy. No, but of course, all of no, them no. ended up being legacy things, whether it's because of his writing or whether it's because of Ramona's art or the combination or it was just the right time, whatever. But uh, I mean, just to be credited with so many of those things is pretty impressive. He also co-created Congerilla. <laughs> uh, yes, he Wait, did. that and... came out a long time ago.
1: Yes. Well, no. Well, it was Congo Bill, and then Congo Bill got converted oh, into Congorella. So that's... he wrote again a more a more Silver Agey version of that character. I and he also, about that. That's he right. also co-created the Jaguar for Archie, one oh, of their superheroes. Okay, yeah. So yeah, um, his last credit is in Weird War Tales number ninety-one from nineteen eighty, which is weird because his his last credit before that is nineteen sixty-seven. So there's a 13 year gap, and I have to think that that maybe that Weird War tale stories was inventory.
0: Sounds like they it. had
1: lying around. I can't imagine that after 13 years they would be like, "Hey, do you want to write one more story?" Yeah, okay. Um, so I bet that was pumping laying around, and then they printed it. But again, it's I wish I had spent a little more time talking about him on the shrine when I was doing that as an active thing because he really deserves a lot of credit. I mean, this I I I like the more fun origin, but to me this is the origin, and this is the reason why the movie uses this origin. This is so iconic. It's so primal. Uh, this idea that he is a, you know, a half-breed between the he's and he's, he's heir to the throne of Atlantis, which of course every single writer would uh,
0: use. Uh, but here's the interesting thing that I noticed on reading this one. In this one he is not the heir to the throne of Atlantis. His mother says you will become whatever just king of the ocean or whatever. King of the ocean. But she never mentions that no, she's No, not here. But right, but I mean, but How, Well, when does that come in though? Where where that's, do you find them? you
1: know I'd have to look at that I'd have to figure out when exactly because yeah they didn't really do a lot with it. I mean this this panel this one panel mm-hmm. at the end of the thing is the introduction to Atlantis
0: it really never appeared before this no that's no, crazy. Not, not not this
1: version like the version where it becomes a real location like like Gotham City or Paradise right. Island. This is the beginning of it. Is mm. it this one panel where he's just floating outside and he's
0: like, "Oh, hope someday I can go back there." I'm like, Wow, <laughs> talk about talk about burying the lead, fellas. Jeez. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ah, oh, interesting. So it, it's also you talk about the iconic. I mean, it's got that famous panel of the sea life paying homage to Arthur, which has been yep. redone so many times. It's got the Atlanta being tossed about in the storm with the the lighthouse on her. By the way, did I mention she's smoking hot? Because I really should mention that again. Um, so I got. A question for you. He's wearing yellow gloves. Yes. Right? So, you know, I, I'm not going to get into the whole Earth 1, Earth 2 nonsense that we love to bicker about. It would be fun though, but um, when does he lose the yellow gloves? When did they become green? Uh, well, he actually, if you,
1: he has yellow gloves on the cover of Brave and Bold 28. Uh, hey. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, basically there was there is no defining line because if you follow his stories in Adventure, sometimes he has yellow, sometimes he has green, and then the yellow come mm, back. Mm. And then, I really think it's the color is just whatever, like, huh? What? I guess he's got yellow gloves. And then at some point, I forget where. I know I noted this on, on the Shrine at the time. But there is at some point where they just finally become green and they stay green. Uh, and, then eventually, and then eventually DC went back and altered all the reprints to make them green. And, and,
0: uh, and that's why I'm forgetting that uh, Brave and the bull 28 had yellow gloves because I'm pretty sure the – whatever the – the reprint I had in the 80s had green gloves. Yes. So yeah.
1: Right. When they reprinted uh, – when they did their Secret Origins series in the, 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 the 70s one, there were mm-hmm. all reprints. Uh, he's got uh, – they, they recolored that reprint to change – they recolored the, the more fun story to change it to green gloves. Uh, but here he's got yellow gloves. Now, the big discrepancy here is uh, Mike's Amazing World, which is, of course, an amazing – no pun intended – resource mm-hmm. for any podcaster. He says – that the introduction of the Silver Age Aquaman is Adventure Two Twenty Nine. Now, why does he come up with that? Because that's the introduction of Topo. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And he, say, and he says because Topo was not an Earth Two character, then this is de facto the beginning of the Silver Age Aquaman. I, 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 I I'm calling shenanigans on that.
0: I. When, I just, when was 228? Whatever that issue number was. When was that? Two Twenty Nine. Uh, That would
1: have been, I'd say, like three years before this, something like that. So that would have been like 1956, something like that.
0: Do do you want to have this conversation now? Because this is leading me right into what I want to talk about.
1: Go right ahead.
0: Okay. So uh, I I want to talk about why we got a new Silver Age origin and – I'm curious, so you, you tell me, why do you think they chose to do The Origin now? Do you think it was because there was a new writer in the book and he felt like just telling it? Do you think his editor said, no, 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 we've got... Re-. What, what, what are your reasons? Why do you think we got the new Aquaman retelling of his origin and kicking off a whole new sort of direction for him?
1: I think because at, at this point, I mean, so this came out in March 1959. That means they were working on it probably the end of 1958. I'm going to bet at this point, Julie Schwartz was gearing up to do Justice League. And he had decided he was going to put Aquaman in it. Uh, Brave and the Bold 28 was only a couple of months away at this point. And I think he just decided, you know what, I'm going to do, let's have as many new sort of freshened up versions of the characters. And you know what, they probably looked at it and said, we either haven't done an origin in a long time or, you know what, let's, I, I don't, I, I can't, it's weird because obviously when he did Flash, it was a hard restart. Mm -hmm. You know, when he did Green Lantern and Hawkman and Adam, they all were given hard restarts. Aquaman was not because Aquaman never went away. So I think they just kind of were like, eh, kids are not going to remember. This is sort of the new version. This is the version we're going on. And because it was the 50s and sci-fi was more the thing at the time.
0: And this is issue 260. um, Assuming Aquaman was in issues before and after. Like, is there a distinct difference between the way the Aquaman story is in, let's say, 259 and 261? Like, if you take your, no. is it still just seems pretty seamless?
1: Yeah, it's it's basically like they're just stopping for the moment to be like, oh, hey, he's got a new origin. Okay. That's, yeah, no, they're really. I mean, his run and adventure was from one hundred three to two eighty four. Jeez. He never missed an issue, which is again, that's an amazing run to do. And the only real difference you can tell is the the artwork, obviously, because it goes from. Uh, John Daly to to Ramona Freyden. Uh, and and a little bit of a characterization. I mean, like just that one panel you talked about where he's leaning out over the over the railing mm-hmm. and he's looking kind of forlorn. Well the older Aquaman was never forlorn. He didn't have emotions like that. He was just all about daring do. Yeah. He was just about, let me just punch a bunch of guys, punch a pirate, punch a Nazi, <laughs> I'm off for more adventure. <laughs> the, the the Aquaman in that one panel who just looks even slightly sad is showing an emotion that Five years ago, he would never have shown. So to me, that is an indication of the stories are changing a little okay. bit. We're getting a little more characterization.
0: But it's fair to say then we, we don't have a whole new direction, which is how I phrased it earlier. But we just have, like you said, sort of a pause to reflect. Yes. And, we, and we're changing the origin. Okay. So where, where I'm going with this is you mentioned earlier Barry Allen had been introduced as The Flash. Absolutely correct. July 1956. And you mentioned Hal Jordan. Actually, Hal Jordan came after this story. Did he um, really? He did, yeah. Uh, this is March 1959. Hal Jordan is July 1959. Now oh, it's close. Wow. It's okay. not too far yes. apart. Um, okay. And then the Atom is even further along, which is Showcase 34. Right. So, and, and then with Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, there's no real line of demarcation and uh, like I did some research on when it happens for Superman and Batman Wonder Woman. Batman, you know, some people claim it's right after Barry Allen because they're saying that's the Silver Age. so That's where Batman comes over. But there's really no change in Batman until the new look Batman comes along in 1964. Then you get uh, with Superman. Some people argue it's the introduction of Supergirl that represents um, the, hmm. the change there, which is May 1959, which is. Roughly around the same time as his Aquaman story. And then Wonder Woman, there were some distinct changes in 1958 and 1959. Around in there, Robert Kinniger started actually retroactively changing the character some and updating her some. So there are some areas where they kind of say, okay, they can point to Wonder Woman number 98 or 105, which is May 1958. Again, uh, about one year before this. Or April 1959, 1959, which is right after this. So where I'm kind of going is, though... I, I don't think Julie. Now he may have thought of the Justice League because you know, of course, he's got Batman, Wonder Woman, Superman, and Flash already ready to go. Martian Manhunter was started publishing in 1955, so he's got him too. So it may have been okay. Let's get Aquaman ready for the Justice League. But there wasn't this big wave of refreshing their heroes other than Barry Allen at this point. So it, it's it's um, a. It's a tough one for me. Now, the reason I asked you earlier about the Topo thing, uh, you you backtracked it in 1956 when you were trying to figure out when the Topo mm-hmm. premiere and all that. That sounds like it's right in line with Showcase Number Four because that is something that it's, apparently Overstreet, I guess, published and pretty much said every appearance immediately after Showcase Number Four is considered the Silver Age. Is it, how they okay. used to do that. So okay. if Topo appeared right after Showcase Number Four, then there you go. That would make sense why they said that. But uh, it, it's sort of a I I call bogus just because Showcase number four is on the shelf. I don't really feel like the Silver Age has landed. You know, it has for the Flash, but not for everybody else. Everyone else, it slowly filters across everything.
1: Right, and because of course the argument could be made. Well, then the Silver Age really starts with Martian Manhunter, who was a year before the Flash. Could be he's he's Earth one. Yeah. So i yeah I mean, look i I'm far be it for me to ever criticize mike 's amazing world and his historical acumen, but just to me, marking the fact that it 's topo is the beginning it just to me it 's like that 's pretty thin on the ground. I would say it, it if it, like you said if 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 these stories had had some very distinct difference in terms of their tone, then I could say, you know what it 's probably this, but they really aren 't these the story as you just said, the story before this one and the story after this one are virtually. You know, I, the same in terms of their tone, their look, their feel, everything else. It's just this one happens to be the origin, and so to me it's like then the, you ha- it's always going to be indistinct, so if you're going to land an issue to me, this is the one say like, this is the origin, this is the beginning and and that's so that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All
0: right, I'm going to ask you one more time just for clarification. when did topo premiere what issue
1: number two twenty nine adventure two twenty nine
0: okay see that makes that's it then because. Issue 229 Was on the stands In August 1956 Which is One month after Showcase number four right. So while it's Topo It really probably Is more being picked out Because it's right after Showcase number four It's sure. gotta be what it I'm is I'm sure that,
1: Right Right But I'm just Specifically again I'm not trying to like Pick on Mike's Amazing World no, I course. get it Of but, course um, But literally in his listing He states that's the reason Why he's picking the, that story
0: Gotcha He says
1: Topo He's like Topo is not an Earth 2 character He's an Earth 1 character So therefore this is Earth 1 now I'm like okay
0: Well no
1: no, but okay. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Oh, hey, Mike, come on in. Yeah, sure. Rob's waiting for you. I think he wants to have a word with you, Rob. <laughs> Mike Voiles like to... has come <laughs> for a reckoning.
1: <laughs> I feel like I was in an old time radio show all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So uh now talking about the comic itself we spent all this time talking about the publication we haven't actually talked about the strip all that much. There's a few things I just thought were funny. And the the opening splash you always get which is sort of like a secondary cover, it, it has, you know, little baby Aquaman in the tank with these three angry swordfish which have very human-looking faces. <laughs> and all I could think is all right, um Tom Curry's getting uh Dad of the Year award for that one. <laughs> He's thinking his fist at his son. I know. He's like puts him in a tank with pissed-off swordfish. Are you kidding me? Okay. Come on son. Protect your thoughts so that you control those
1: fish. Make them obey you, or you'll never become king of the sea.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Right. Uh, There's later on when Arthur Arthur made a mistake, and they put it in the comic, which I thought was actually very human to do. Where he tries to command a whale to go help this, what do you call like a. Ferry boat that's ended mm-hmm. up on a sandbar in the fresh water, and the whale actually declines and swims away because apparently Aquaman realizes, "Oh, the whale won't go near fresh water. I've got a lot to learn." Uh, now, it's, uh, technically, it's not Aquaman; it's Young Arthur, I should say, at that point, because uh, Aquaman's infallible. Young Arthur, maybe not so much. But either way, I just really like they included that into first of all, you get some science, which I always love when they mm-hmm, find mm-hmm. in these things, but also just you know he showed our hero is he fallible that he had more to learn, which I really liked.
1: Yeah, it's really. good. Like I said, it. It finds a way to, to work in all the kind of cool stuff. And the, 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 there's the panel with the luminescent, the luminescent fish, mm-hmm. yeah. which I really like. I like that. That looks really cool. The, the, the panel of him is a baby in the water, and he's petting a shark. Right, it's just like, it's straight up terrifying. Like, imagine <laughs> if you saw that, because the shark is kind of rolling over like it's a dog. Right, you know, right. and it, yeah. and he's like scratching its nose, and it's just like, and it's got those horrible shark teeth, and like. You know, it's like, oh, can you imagine seeing your, your... – and, and it features panels here that have been since redone by other artists, just mm-hmm. redrawn. The particular panel of Atlanta sitting on the rock looking out over the water with a baby in her arms mm-hmm. and Tom Curry in the background just kind of wondering why is she – so that has been redrawn by I'd say half a dozen different artists, oh, okay. literally that panel. just They just redo it. And there's something again. There's this origin is so primal, it's so simple. It's even the m- most basic sort of ch- youngest child can understand where what it's about. It's not the Earth Earth Two one where he's got like this helmet and his dad taught him how to breathe underwater. And you're like, what? How does that even work? <laughs> this, is just, this is this is half science, half magic, which was all that the Silver Age was about. So to me, it's like this is this is what makes this character endure, because I think that they realized, you know, we got to freshen them up, and I think that it really worked.
0: And, and it's amazing how faithful the movie was to this. Yep. I mean, they mm-hmm. really... Well, no, no matter how much that we talked about, uh, how much Jeff Johns-isms are in that movie, uh, at the core, they really kept to this, which is really, really cool. I, I only had one final comment, which I thought was kind of odd. So Aquaman pulls the general aside to tell him privately his origin, right? <laughs> and then... At the very end, when he tells him that Atlantis is under the sea, he's like, come in closer. I'm going to whisper it to you. And I'm thinking, you're just talking to the general. You're already just one-on-one. Why do you have to whisper this part? In guess there's listening devices, I don't get it.
1: I, maybe there's guys right behind him just off panel or something. I, I do feel like Aquaman is being a little too trusting with this guy that he just met. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, okay, whatever. I mean, he's, he's figuring he can trust the Navy man to say, look, I can't – You know, I don't want you setting off missiles. I mean, of course – you argue maybe, you know, I don't want uh, – if you're really Aquaman, I don't want the, the, the Navy dropping nuclear bombs anywhere in the ocean, alone right. near Atlantis. Yeah. It's not that it's particularly better, but, you know, what are you going to do? Atomic it's, it's, depth it's, it's charges. 50s. That's like not 50s. messing around, man. <laughs> It was the fifties. We thought nuclear bombs were just keen. So, <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's peachy, brother. Yeah. But right. again, you
1: think about this that Bernstein had such a short run, and and look what he Do- look what he did in just twenty issues. He introduces a new origin, a new sidekick, a villain, a recurring villain, well, not a barely recurring villain, but a recurring <laughs> villain. Uh, I mean that that's that's a lot of history for a guy that didn't was on the strip for basically two years and then out.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's 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 an impressive, impressive piece. I'm glad we got a chance to reread it. Always a joy to revisit Ramona's artwork. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's so beautiful. And, you know, I, I got to see her last year at Baltimore Comic-Con, and that was a real treat. and got a chance to talk to her. She's still drawing. She's still got sketches mm-hmm. out there that she does. She's mm-hmm. better for sale. In fact, someone posted not too long ago a Firestorm sketch by Ramona Fraiden. Yes. It was yes. just freaking gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. It was so pretty. So, yeah, she's an excellent artist. Wow.
1: Yeah, I mean, she went right from this, and then like she did Brenda Starr for many years, and then eventually she came back to DC and did Super Friends, where again she got a chance to draw Aquaman all over again. So I mean, she she is one of the the towering figures of this character's history, and he was very very fortunate that he landed her right at the right moment. Like I said I'm a big fan of John Daly, but it, his stuff was kind of like a '40s, somewhat '50s hybrid in terms of the style, but she just I think just turbocharged it and made the strip look. Unlike anything, it's one of the most beautiful of the 1950s strips. And then she went, and then they went right from Ramona Frad to Nick Carty. So I mean, <sighs> the, the, the Keg Bright, and then from Nick Carty to Jim Aparo. So I mean, the. You know, an Aquaman, an
0: embarrassment been, of riches.
1: Yeah, you ain't kidding. I mean, he's just been very, very fortunate to be gifted with such amazing artists. And yes, Ramona still appears at conventions. It's amazing. If if anybody out there is listening, you see her at a convention, go up and talk to her. Buy something from her. She is a – we don't have too many living legends anymore, but she's still around. And the fact that she'll do conventions is just remarkable. So, yeah, we we love you, Ramona Freyden.
0: I had her sign my History of the DC Universe. Oh, cool. Because it's the the collected edition where it has her essay in it, you know, the hardcover. And she actually sort of like – I apologize isn't the right word, but she 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 acted like she a little sheepish about it because in the essay she kind of talks about how she didn't like doing superhero comics right. and she like it almost seemed like she regretted saying that um she's like, oh, this is the one where I said some not some nice things and you know <laughs> so anyway it's absolutely wonderful but i'm going to post uh some of these images from not the whole all not all eight pages but <laughs> not <we'll>, all eight <laughs> but we'll post some of them out on our website and rob what's that website Fireandwaterpodcast.com. Absolutely. Folks, go out to our website. Leave your comments. We want to hear your thoughts on this story, your thoughts on the whole Silver Age argument. You know, when does the Silver Age begin and, and it, why uh, Aquaman's place here happens at this time and all the – you know, the, you know what, share your thoughts on that. We'd love to be part of that conversation. And, Ryan's
1: going to say it's when Black Canary came from Earth 2 to Earth 1. That's what he's going to say.
0: Probably. Or that terrible story where we find out that there's t- uh, her mom and uh, – that story we don't speak <laughs> <up> of. <about.
1: laughs> yeah, the, the Silver Age started in 1983.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, that's Ryan. You know, you can't argue with him. So, <laughs> anyway, folks, that's going to do it for this episode. And this big, awesome birthday celebration for Aquaman's origin is is retelling a Silver Age origin, 60, 60th anniversary. That's really a mouthful, Rob. You should come. You should get a, you, should, you needed a hashtag or some sort of, you know, uh, 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 shipping phrase. That would have been easier. <laughs> so get on that. Anyway. Uh, Rob, tell everybody where they can find us in uh, the social medias, please.
1: You can go to Twitter, and it's at FW Podcast. And, again, I already mentioned the website, which is com, where you can send us an email via the website or just email us at FWPodcast at Comcast.net. Don't forget Aquaman Shrine on Twitter also. Aquaman, well, yes, Aquaman Shrine. I've mentioned it like 16 times in this episode. I think people know by
0: now. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it. Until next time, fan the flame. And ride the wave. It's a 60-year-old wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down Or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair They stand for truth and justice And see a land in there Aquaman Super Friends Forever. Yeah! A visit to Aquaman's kingdom invariably means an adventure due in no small part to his larger-than-life personality. And thus, I turn back the invasion of the Anemonoids. You can read more about that adventure in my
1: new memoir.